uh, is uh, in the middle of kind of uh, organizing a, a women's uh, gift swap. Uh, so if, uh, if you want to take part in that, then you need to talk to her today. Uh, so today's the last day to do that, so please see her uh, if you are a woman and you want to take part in the gift swap. Uh, sorry, fellas. Um, if you want to organize one, fellas, you feel free. We can uh, be part of that as well. Uh, but the uh, other announcement is that uh, we are doing the Lottie Moon Christmas offering uh, for the month of December. And so in the bulletin inserts, you'll find a special offering envelope. Uh, so please pray and consider giving uh, to... Uh, to this. This is, uh, this is funds that are given specifically for missions, uh, for international missionaries uh, across the globe. So uh, we're collecting that through the month of, uh, of, of December. And then the other announcement I have is that, well, not an announcement, but I guess just a, a form of gratitude that, uh, as you see, there's a lot of decorations and things in the manger outside. So a lot of uh, people, a lot of a combination of men and women coming uh, yesterday just to decorate the church and put that together. So uh, so some of those individuals are here, so I appreciate all uh, the work that's gone into it, and uh, it definitely wouldn't have been possible without, without you guys know who you are. Um, and then, uh, there was something else, this is why you, what? Oh yes, thank you. Um, we are uh, collecting or putting together another prayer booklet uh, for 2021, uh, so uh, please think about what you want the church to pray for over the next, uh, next year. So we want to collect those prayer requests as soon as possible, ideally by the end of this week. And so uh, please submit those prayer requests uh, to, uh, to Marissa. Send them to uh, admin at secnh.com, and she'll get that. And then we can start putting those booklets together so that we can start giving them out uh, early in January or even ideally uh, before the end of the month, I think. Uh, so uh, please consider doing that. And then... Uh, I thought there was something else, but that might have been it. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, RSVP, please RSVP for the Christmas Eve service. We're still taking RSVPs. Remember to do that uh, so that it'll help us kind of get people situated and kind of figure things out with the, the service and what it'll look like and do we need an overflow. So please remember to do that. So that's all I have. No more. And uh we're going to continue with our Advent season, and we're going to have uh, another Advent reading, uh, one reading for every uh, Advent week. And so for this week, I'm inviting uh, the Batistas to come up, and they'll share a, a devotional thought, lighting in the candle, and then we'll go into a time to uh, worship the Lord through some songs. on? All right, here we go. All right. So today's uh, Advent, it's, um, I just begin reading. <laughs> As we continue our story of Advent, uh, we come to the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. Take a moment to think about how God orchestrated the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. Rome took a census um, requiring everyone to return to their hometown. Uh, Joseph was on the line and house of King and house of King David. Then Mary and Joseph traveled across the land of Judea on a seven days trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. God protected them the entire way. 
He kept Mary and Joseph together when Joseph found out about the Holy Spirit uh, conceived pregnancy. The Savior of the world would be born in Bethlehem, and the Lord would protect him all the way until he reached uh, the cross. Salvation from beginning to end is God's work. The zeal of the Lord brought Jesus to earth. God is with us, and he was with Mary and Joseph. Hear the God's uh, promise to Mary. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, sorry, therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is, and this is the sixth month with her who has called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's Luke chapter 1, 26 through 38. Nothing is impossible with God. Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, like he said. And Jesus was protected and preserved until the right time that he might save us by his death. No human barrier can prevent the Lord and his will. We, we light the second candle as we remember Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem and the Lord's unstoppable love and power in our lives and salvation. Christ the Lord. 
boast in Christ the Lord who made our salvation possible.
During this next song, I invite you to be seated and just to meditate on the words. And if you feel comfortable singing along with it, then I invite you to.
is well with our souls, with our lives, because you have come. You came as a baby in a manger. You humbled yourself and became like us. And so, Father, I just, I just thank you for this reality. I thank you for this truth because you can relate to, you can sympathize with our weakness and our temptations and sins because you have been tempted by those things, but you were yet without sin. And you became sin, you who knew no sin, so that we might have your righteousness. Father, we ask that you would be with Pastor Demi as he comes to bring your word now. And we ask for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in that, uh, that same spirit, would you bow your heads with me and as we go to the Lord and, and pray. Lord, as we think about the Advent season and we think about the, the passage that was read during the Advent reading and the angel who came to Mary and said to her that she is a favored one of God. Lord, it's, and it's, it's not because of anything that she had done or anything that she was going to do. But in your sovereignty, you have chosen her, and through her, the Savior of the world was born. Lord, and in your loving kindness, you have favored us, and not because of anything that we have done or were going to do, not because you looked down into the, looked into the future and saw that we were going to believe, but because of your sovereign choice, you chose us, and that makes us favored. And we cannot understand why you would favor us, but you have favored us. And you chose to show us your grace and your love through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for sending us your Son, and we thank you that this Son died on the cross for our sins. Lord, may we be a people who rejoice, who are glad, who are filled with inexpressible delight because of Christ, because of the gospel. And as we gather together as a church with friends, for family, whether it's in person or via Skype or just in, through phone calls, Lord. As we give and receive gifts, Lord, may this be a reminder of the incredible joy of the gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. May we exude an incredible joy, not just in this holiday season, but every single season, Father, we pray for those who are, who are sick. We pray for those who are recovering from illnesses, from surgeries, from those who are home after being in the hospital for some time. Father, we pray that they may be strengthened. We pray for their recovery. Father, we pray that you may draw near to them, Lord. 
Father, we pray that you would protect them and keep them. Lord, we pray for those, for those in, in our family of Christ who have, who have a thorn in the flesh. God, that we pray that your strength would be made perfect in their weaknesses each and every single day. Father, as we think more specifically about missions this month, Father, we pray that you may continue to send out people into the world to proclaim the gospel. We pray that you would mobilize your church Let's continue to send out missionaries, Lord, to the field that just needs working, to plant gospel seeds to those who have never heard the gospel before. So we pray, Lord, for just this, this younger generation, Lord, that many of them would respond to the gospel call and go and give their lives to missions, Lord, that many of them would not be thinking about how to remain here, but how to go. Father, I'm thankful for the, the many uh, women, the many females who are in missions right now, who are planting gospel seeds. We pray that you would cause those seeds to grow. We pray that you would continue to give them boldness and continue to provide for them. Lord, but we also pray that you would also rise up younger men as well to go to missions, Lord that we would see bold and courageous young men to go, going into the mission field, going and responding to a call greater than their very lives, a call that they cannot receive from this world. And we pray, Lord, for the evangelization of the lost. Father, we pray for all gospel-minded churches in our country in, in the midst of this pandemic and in the winter, Lord, and, and the challenges of, of having to meet virtually. Or, or We pray especially for those churches that have the, the technological difficulties that doesn't allow them to even have virtual meetings, for those churches that can and continue to meet, but with uh, restrictions. Father, we pray that you would dispense your grace to your church. We pray for the many brothers and sisters who are just feeling the, the absence of, of being physically with another believer, whether it's in the home or outside or being in the church, God, we pray that your grace would be with them and sustain them. We pray for the encouragement that your church needs to continue to move forward, to continue to press into the kingdom and to continue to preach the gospel. We pray for wisdom and guidance. Father, and we pray during this holiday season as Hopefully, people are much more merry and joyful and perhaps even soft-hearted because of the holidays. Father, we pray for gospel opportunities. We pray that you would embolden your church to continue to preach the gospel. We pray, Lord, for those opportunities and around with those in our spheres of influence and those in our circles, Lord, to be able to preach the gospel. Give us wisdom to be able to preach it, to evangelize to people in a, in a tactful manner. 
and we pray for soft hearts, and we pray for people to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, we pray for our military families, Lord, who cannot uh, be gathered with the church. Lord, we pray that you would protect them. We pray that you may encourage them. And even if they cannot meet with us in person, we pray that they would together meet as as their family, as a household, and pursue you and draw near to you from their home. We pray that you would protect them from the schemes of the enemy. We pray that you would surround them with a hedge of protection. Lord, and we pray that, that even your grace would be communicated through a computer screen as they as they watch, and as they pray with the saints. Lord, we thank you. We trust you for all these things. We look forward to all that you are going to do. And in the same spirit, Lord, we conclude by praying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, verse 40. Matthew 12, 40, and we'll read down to verse 42. Now, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees who had just asked him for a sign. And he says that no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. This is the word of the Lord. Father, is something indeed greater than the preaching of Jonah has come, and that is Jesus Christ. As Paul says, Jesus, we proclaim So we make it our aim, Lord, to preach Christ from the Scriptures. And Lord, this preaching of Christ would be vain without the work of your Spirit. So we pray that your Spirit would work in our hearts and our minds, may open up our ears to listen to your Word. So we pray that you may help us and guide us and teach us, and may we worship you through the preaching of your Word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear ye, hear ye. 
unto us, unto you is given a king. This king is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is merciful, kind, gracious, and righteous. He is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The king, in his kindness, welcomes you all into his kingdom of peace and righteousness. If you wish acceptance into his kingdom, this is what you must do. You must swear allegiance to the king. He requires your devotion. He requires your heart. He demands your very life. Only then can you be pardoned of all your sin. Only then will you be forgiven of your crimes and transgressions. Only then shall you be declared innocent and invited to become a citizen of his glorious kingdom. If you refuse, if you will not give him your life and swear allegiance to him, then you will be judged, condemned, and punished to the greatest severity. You will be cut off, abandoned, and given to an everlasting darkness and punishment, yearning for an end that will never come. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Choose today whom you will serve. Back when, in times when there was, when literacy wasn't as, as prevalent, when most people could not, had to really, to really learn or to really communicate, they had to depend upon someone's audible voice because they couldn't read that one of the most effective means of communication between, say, a ruling monarch or a king with the common people is to employ the services of a town crier. The town crier would come into the crowded streets, and he would be decked out elaborately. I mean, if you saw him, you could tell that this was a town crier who would come into the streets, and he would come with a loud bell, and he would ring that bell to get everybody's attention, to draw a crowd in. Because when you heard the bell, when you saw the town crier, you knew that the king had a message. And once the people gathered together, once there was a silence, the town crier would take out a scroll and begin to declare the king's message. As we've been Walking through the series on the church, we've been talking about various different things about the church, what the church does, what, what is the purpose of the church. Last week, Devin talked to us about, the, about worship, worship here as a church when we gather together, worship as, a, as worship as life. And today, we're talking about the subject of preaching. When I think of preaching, when I think of a preacher, I think of a town crier, somebody who comes to a crowd and declares the message of a king. And so today, we're going to talk about the definition of preaching, the ground of preaching, and the aim of preaching. So first, the definition or the what of preaching. So just as a, a town crier would come and to declare the message of the king, another way of, think of, being, of, of thinking about a preacher, the task of preaching, is that of one who is tasked with heralding, as a herald of God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10 and the, I was thinking about the Advent season, right? Thinking about the incarnation, and in Luke chapter two, we have a, we have an angel who comes to the shepherds in the middle of the night, 
And he says to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That the angel was a herald of God. He was a messenger on God's behalf. And what, I mean, I can't imagine just the joy that there must have been to be that angel to declare this news. That here is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, we love sharing good news with people. Sometimes we even fight with one another to be able to share the good news with somebody because we want to be the one to tell that good news to somebody. I mean, I can't imagine the joy to have been that angel to declare that good news. In Luke chapter 4, verse 19, this is Jesus in the context of the temple, and he opens the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The essence of that passage, and Jesus is applying this to himself, to his own ministry, but the essence of that message is good news. Jesus has been anointed by the Lord to proclaim liberty, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus was a herald of God. He was a herald of good news. And sometimes town criers were not just heralds of good news or just neutral news. It just as we see in the Old Testament, I think of the Old Testament prophets as a sort of town criers. And they certainly weren't only heralding good news. Sometimes it was bad news. But it was not bad news because God is a vindictive, evil God. But because his people were wayward and rebellious and refused to repent. Embedded in the, I guess, the job description of a town crier is that he was also called upon to read out the charges of a condemned criminal at a public execution. It would read something like this. Before you is John Doe, sentenced to execution by hanging on this day of December 6, 2020. His charges are the following. Lying, cheating, blaspheming, lusting, adultery, pride, and many others. He is a hater of God and has failed to swear allegiance to the king. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come as a herald of God to proclaim a good news that even someone like that and some, and as such, and we were such as well with all those different charges and much more But then we have the good news that anybody can be cleared of all their charges, can be declared innocent and blameless and righteous righteous by swearing allegiance to the king who is Jesus. Romans 10 tells us, How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. What makes the feet beautiful of those who preach the good news is that they are preaching the good news. That idea of preaching is the same idea as heralding. It's the same idea that Jesus has in mind when he says proclaim, when he's called to proclaim the good news. So preaching is heralding, preaching is proclaiming. 
In Matthew 4, 23, it tells us that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. 1 Timothy 2, 7, the apostle Paul tells, says of himself that he, is a, he was appointed to be a preacher and an apostle. The word there for preacher, for preacher in the Greek is the same word that's used in Matthew 4 when it's, text, when it's talking about Jesus proclaiming the good news. To proclaim is to declare something important with due emphasis. And the idea of proclaiming or heralding is this idea of doing so in a public manner. So not just private, not in your closet, though I know we have a category for preaching the gospel to yourself, right? reminding yourself of the gospel. But the idea here of proclaiming or heralding has the idea of doing it in a public context. So not only is it heralding, proclaiming, but preaching is also, in a way, teaching. In Luke 20, it says that Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. In Acts 15, 35, tells us that Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord, with many others also. So preaching, when it's done right, is also a form of teaching. I mean, if you do preaching rightly, you cannot help but teach at the same time. Paul, in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Timothy being his protege, his disciple, and Timothy taking or, be, or being called upon to lead or to pastor the church of Ephesus, Paul gives the young pastor many exhortations. Amongst those exhortations, he also tells them to preach the word. The idea is to proclaim it, to declare it publicly with due emphasis. The town crier, even though he had everyone's attention, he was still required to be loud and also to speak authoritatively because this is the message of the king. He's supposed to speak as if it was his own message. In other words, he had to declare it in a way that was believable. And it's the same idea that Paul is getting at when he tells Timothy to preach the word. Do so publicly. Do so authoritatively. Do so so that people will listen, that people will know to listen to your message. Right? But a message is not really believable if it's not declared with some kind of authority. Otherwise, how would it sound? I said, well, the king declares that you can be declared of all your charges. You can be innocent if you want to. If you just swear allegiance to him if you want to. Or you can be condemned. That doesn't sound very good. Right? It's not really believable, is it? Now, I'm definitely not the best person to talk about this subject because there is definitely much more that many pastors who have been preaching for many years and so I glean from their wisdom and so I I take the wisdom from two different pastors one who's still alive one who's already gone on to be with the Lord to kind of help us to understand what preaching is so one of those being John Piper Preaching, according to John Piper, is expository exaltation. 
What it means by that is that you're getting to a biblical exposition. Exposition simply means getting to the meaning of the passage. And to get to the meaning of the passage, it requires a lot of work. It requires you to sit in front of the passage, staring at that passage, meditating on that passage. It requires you to look at other references. It requires you to think about the cultural context. It requires you to think about the occasion, uh, uh, the purpose of the letter, to understand the flow of the argument. And only then can you get to the, uh, the, the meaning of the passage. Only then can you get to the, uh, to the author's intent behind what he wrote. And then to exult over what the passage says. It doesn't necessarily mean that the person has to be flamboyant or charismatic. But it just simply means that are you declaring this in a winsome or in a believable manner? I mean, do you, do, I mean, the question I have to ask myself every Sunday morning, or maybe not Sunday morning, but as I'm preparing the message is, do I believe what I'm going to preach? Because if I, if it if I don't sound believable, then... How's it going to communicate to you? So when we're thinking about the meaning of the passage or expository or exposition, let me give you a, a quick example of what exposition isn't. So if you take a passage like 1 Samuel chapter 2, and it tells us this uh, brief story or, bis, uh, or a brief incident concerning Eli's worthless sons. Eli had was a priest and prophet over God's people. He had two sons employed in the service of the temple, and they were required to take the sacrifices of God's people and minister to God on behalf of the people. But we read in that passage that they were actually cheating and extorting people. They were doing it in the most disgraceful manner, and the Lord takes their life. Now, say I was preaching from that passage, and I said, here are seven principles for you to apply in order to raise godly children. That might be really helpful, but that is nowhere near the meaning of the passage. Now, I could preach a topical pass- a message on raising godly children, maybe take some principles for that, and quite honestly, I'd probably go to other passages to help me to apply or seek out principles on how to raise godly children. But the inherent meaning of that passage is that God is holy, and God has determined how he ought to be worshipped. And we see from the example of these two men of how not to worship the Lord. So preaching is helping people to understand the passage and to be convinced by it, to exude over the passage. Another example, this one from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Preaching according to Lloyd-Jones was, he would say, that it is logic on fire. So, I don't really like math. I don't really care for it. For some of you, maybe if it's, I don't know if any of you are passionate about math. To me, one plus one equals two. It's like, uh, okay, I don't really care. E equals MC squared, I don't really care. That That doesn't get me fired up. In fact, it probably kills my fire. But for some of you, for some of you who are, might be mathematicians who really love math, you might be like, wow, one plus one equals two. That's amazing. Or e equals mc squared. Wow, that's amazing. That gets me fired up. And so that's what he means by logic on fire. Essentially, he's saying it's theology on fire. So not trying to give you a seminary lecture, but trying to communicate that this actually really matters. 
he would say that preaching is theology coming through a man on fire. And notice that his definition of preaching and John Piper's definition of preaching are actually very similar. Logic on fire, expository exaltation. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, I think, would affirm this definition. He once said, speaking of, of himself, when he comes on Sunday mornings to preach before his people, he would say this. He would say that my people come to watch me burn. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> my people come to watch me burn. I mean, kind of a crazy, if you think about it vividly, like nobody wants to see somebody man on, a man on fire. But obviously it means illustratively, right? My people come to watch me burn. And so the preacher's task is to get his heart ready to preach. To get the wood ready and douse that thing in gasoline so that prayerfully when he comes up on Sunday morning, all that the Lord has to do is at night a match, throw that thing and just lights ablaze. Watch out for the flowers. Not only for the preacher, but it's also for the, the hearers as well. That their hearts must be set ablaze as well. You know, and sometimes I think of the, 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 the showdown between Elijah and the, and the prophets of Baal. Right? And he says, he prepared the altar, and he says, drench that thing in water. And all he does, he says, he steps back, he prays to the Lord, and just watches that thing burn. Right? Because God sends fire to consume the altar. Sometimes we may be ill-prepared to come on Sunday mornings, our hearts drenched with water. That no matter how many matches you light, it's not going to light. But sometimes, Lord willing, he can set that thing ablaze. And we pray that he does. Let's see. The what of preaching. Next is the ground of preaching or the why of preaching. Why do we preach on Sunday mornings? I've heard and I've read before well, why don't we uh, have, like, instead of, like, having a whole sermon, why don't we just have, like, a, like a short devotional thought, and then we, get, we split up into small groups, and we kind of talk about it and pray for one another and all those things, and there's definitely benefits in that. There's, you can definitely be encouraged by that. But I'm not a fan of it. I mean, but that's why we have community groups that meet each week to do that. But where do we get this ground of preaching? Why do we preach on Sunday mornings? One, we get it from the Old Testament. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 5, it tells us that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Not that he was, not that he was better than everybody. And as he opened it all, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Yeshua, Bani, and many other names that are hard to pronounce helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So in a sense, Ezra, what Ezra was doing here, he was preaching. He was opening the word of God, and it tells us that helped to peop, the people understand the reading. And the people stood up. And praise the Lord with their hands lifted up. That's probably where we get the lifting up of hands during worship. They lift up their hands to the Lord and said, Amen. So we see that in the example of Ezra. And if we want to look at examples further back, 
before Ezra, we can actually look forward to Acts chapter 15, verse 21, where it tells us that from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. That word proclaim there in the Greek is the same word that's used for preaching. Other examples, Solomon, in his letter in Ecclesiastes, he calls himself a preacher. Jonah, Jonah was a preacher, right, called upon to preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites. The apostle Peter tells us in his second letter, chapter 2, verse 5, Noah was a preacher as well. So we have all these examples, and, there, and also let's not forget about the prophets as well. They were preachers. And then we have the intertestamental period, that period of time between the last prophet of the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ. So one author, Edwin Charles Dargan, in his A History of Preaching, writes this, For long years the voice of prophecy was mute, awaiting the coming of the promised one, the dawn of a new era. During this period, the worship of the Jews had a very important development and one specifically significant in the history of preaching. This was the auditory exposition of the sacred writings in connection with the services of the synagogue. Thus, we see that there was a clearly defined basis for Christian preaching in the sacred speech of the people from whom in the divine ordering of events Christianity sprang. So in this intermediary period, as people continued to go to the synagogue and worship the Lord, over time, they began the I'm assuming the teachers of the Pharisees began to open up the scriptures and began to preach the sacred writings. That is the Old Testament. Then, of course, we see that in the New Testament, the preaching of the word. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it tells us that the church is a pillar and buttress of the truth. So we are called to proclaim truth, to declare the truth with due emphasis. That's what we're called to do. It's why we don't get into small groups on Sunday mornings and just talk about the word, though that can be helpful and encouraging. It's why, again, we do it in the context of community groups, but that's not what we come here to do on Sunday mornings, because we are called to preach the gospel, to preach truth. The church is called a pillar and buttress of truth. If there's anyone in the world seeking for truth, they should be able to find it in the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that the truth is in Jesus. Jesus himself says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So it seems that truth and Jesus are used synonymously. That truth is Jesus, and Jesus is truth. And so the church is called the pillar and buttress of the truth. And it's saying that the church is a pillar and buttress of Christ. That to proclaim truth is to proclaim Christ. And to proclaim Christ is to proclaim truth. And this is what we must be about because man's greatest need in the world is Christ. And so we must be a church that preaches Christ from the word of God. So that is the why of preaching. 
see in the Old Testament, even in the intertestamental period, we see in the New Testament, we see it throughout church history. And so why, why change it up? We're called to preach the word. Well, lastly, the purpose or the aim of preaching. And from here, I also take wisdom from two other preachers who have gone before us. One of them, my absolute favorite, Jonathan Edwards. To Jonathan Edwards, the purpose and aim of preaching was to raise the level of people's affections. Now, don't confuse affections with emotions. They're not synonymous. He wasn't looking for emotionalism. He wasn't looking for people to just be driven by emotion because emotions can be so fickle. They can change just by the second. But by affections, he means the will, the thing that really gets you up in the morning, the things that directs you in one direction over the other. And he would say that the, that the most effective means of getting to the emotions is through the mind. To help people to comprehend and to understand the passage, and that opens the door to the heart. The affections encompasses the mind and the heart, or the, or the understanding and the emotions. And his aim was to raise those affections so that people love Jesus more, so that people are much more delighted in Christ, so that people are much more satisfied in Christ and want to follow Christ. Another preacher, Francis James Grimke, had written that the preacher's aims should be to get such a clear conception of the truth and should be so impressed with its value, its importance, that in his effort to present it, he will not only lose sight of himself, but his hearers also will in thought of the truth. The preacher has to do the due diligence of being so consumed with the truth that when he goes to present it, that he's lost, he loses himself, and that the hearer also is, loses himself in listening to the word of God. Now, if I can add something else to this purpose of preaching, to add to these individuals, these pastors and their purpose of preaching, I would also add that preaching is pulling men back into reality. In Romans 1.18, it tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That passage is telling us that man is running away from reality. That is the reality of God. And even goes so far as to exchange the reality of God for these false gods that come to us in these images that resemble mortal band, birds, animals, creeping things. We might also add, they come to us in the images of money, power, prestige, position, love, sex, security. And thinking back to the passage 
that we opened up with in Matthew. Tells us the preaching of Jonah. Jonah was sent as a preacher to preach a message of repentance to the Ninevites. He was the town crier. He was a herald of God. He was calling them to repent. Repent. You are turning away from God, and if you do not repent, then you will perish. And praise the Lord, they believed at the message of Jonah. And they were spared. In a sense, Jonah was pulling the Ninevites back into reality. You're heading in the wrong direction. You're worshiping false gods. Worship the true God. And by the way, this isn't just for unbelievers. I think it's also, it's part of my aim and task on Sunday mornings is to pull you back into reality as well. Because I have no idea everything that's happened in your life this past week. I have no idea what you've been going through. I have no idea what's, what's besetting sins you've been struggling with. I have no idea what you've been watching. I have no idea what you've been listening. I have no idea what kind of conversations you've been listening to at work. I have no idea what kind of commercials or advertisements have you been, you've seen on and the TV or driving by on the highway, I have no idea, but everything in the world is intending to pull you into a false reality. Everything is intending to get you to suppress the truth about God through unrighteousness. So part of my aim is to preach truth to you, to pull you back into reality, to remind you that there is a God who sent his son to die for you, that you are saved, that you are a child of God, that you are a citizen of the kingdom that you are a sojourner and stranger in this world, that you are no longer like the world. And that you have the Holy Spirit to guide you and to strengthen you and to help you each and every day. So then as we come on Sunday mornings, it is right that we set our hearts in the right place. We prepare our hearts. This is sort of a, I guess I would call it sort of a Trinitarian responsibility. First, it's the preacher's responsibility. There's the preacher's responsibility to do the hard work of getting into the passage and understanding it, to know how to declare it, to pray, and also to pray for your heart as well, that your heart will be prepared, to pray for his own heart, that he would be prepared so that God would see fit to set this place ablaze. But then there's also the hearer's responsibility. You must set your heart in the right place as well. How do you prepare? Do you prepare on your way here? It could be as simple as saying just a quick prayer. What are you doing in the mornings to get ready? Where do you, what does your intake look like? I'm sorry, but binge-watching Grey's Anatomy is not a great way to prepare to worship the Lord on Sunday mornings. God means to speak to us each and every day. Every time we open up the Scriptures, God means to communicate to us, to tell us something. So I believe that God is intending to speak to us every single Sunday as long as we continue to open up the Scriptures. And if you're not hearing from God, if you're not getting anything from the Word of God... It is not because God is not speaking. It is because perhaps you're not listening. Do you come with an expectation to hear from God? Is your heart right? 
Is your heart ready to be set ablaze by the word of God? Or is it drenched in water? And then lastly, there's the Spirit's responsibility as well. We have to trust in the Spirit of God to set our hearts ablaze, to speak to us, to help us to understand, to open up our ears. And he is the one ultimately who sets this place ablaze. And sometimes he may not. And we cannot understand why. Maybe it's because we haven't prepared enough. But if he does not see fit to set our hearts ablaze, let it not be because we have not prepared. The Lord means to communicate to us, to speak to us, as long as we open up his word. So we must be prepared to hear from God. And this is an act of worship. I mean, I see this, what I'm doing right now, as an act of worship. I see what you're doing as an act of worship. As you listen, it's not a passive, it's not a passive act of worship. It is a proactive act of worship. You are actively listening to the word and looking to see what God means to communicate to you today. All of this is an act of worship. And so it's proper, it's right that we set our hearts right and get them ready to worship the Lord through prayer, through singing, and through preaching. Let me pray. Lord, we, Lord, this is a, a Herculean task. Not only to preach your word, but also that our hearts would be set ablaze. Some of it, there is a responsibility that we have to think about. But part of it is beyond us. So we pray, God, that you may help us to be a people who are eager and excited and prepared to worship you each and every week through all the different elements of our service. And Lord, we pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us and set our hearts ablaze and that this would not be a a fire that is easily extinguishable, but there would be a heart set ablaze with a great fire that carries us throughout the rest of the week until we come again the following Sunday. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand and worship with me. The hearer's responsibility is to respond. So may this be our response this morning. We bring it on. 
Maria, in excelsis Deo. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. In our response, glory. In excelsis Deo, Gloria. In excelsis Deo, see him in a manger laid. Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, Mary, Joseph, lend your aid. With us sing our Savior's birth and glory. In excelsis Deo, in Gloria, in excelsis Deo. Fill this place once more with that beautiful sound. In true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, go forth, being established in the truth and the grace that Jesus has brought to us in his coming. You are dismissed until we return again, Lord willing.